Aloha everyone, I'm your host, Christina Laney-Mitri, and welcome to Smart Living Hawaii's podcast where we discuss smart homes and technology, sustainability, healthy lifestyles, and smart business. Today we will continue our Sustainable Leaders series and have a talk story with Anu Hiddle. And she is with the State Government of Hawaii's Climate Change Mitigation and Adaptation Commission. Aloha, 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 sorry, aloha, Anu. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. I know my uh, title is quite a mouthful. Yeah, well, we can dive into what all of that means shortly. But before I begin, I always like to start with a bio from our guest speaker. So today, uh, a little bit on Anu. She staffs the state government of Hawaii's Climate Change Mitigation and Adaptation um, Commission and is an adjunct fellow at the East-West Center. Before coming to Hawaii, she was a climate change researcher in Washington, D.C. with the World Resources Institute, an activist at Greenpeace, and a professor at Washington University in St. Louis, where she co-led the Ringo Observer delegation for... COPs 2021 and 22, which I am unaware of. Her background is in international relations from Columbia University and forest resource management from Duke University with a focus on economics, policy, and law. Aldo Leopold said that there are some who can live without wild things and some who cannot, and Anu is someone who cannot. So let's dive in. Let's let's start with, um, I always like to start with your background. Where did, where did you grow up? Where did you come from? And how did you get into this green space that we call um, this sustainable world that we live in? Sure. So I grew up in India, actually, and um, lived there for the first 20 years of my life. And then I came to the United States and I've been basically all over. I've lived in several states. Um, started out looking at, uh, basically, I guess, um, got into this space through the World Resources Institute when that was my first job out of graduate school. And I think maybe they just thought I was a little too eager and they wanted to give me something to do that would take a little more time because I kept finishing the tasks fairly quickly. <laughs> so, so they gave me a, um, a task which has kept me busy for all these 30 some years and they said why don't you quantify the greenhouse gas emissions globally and this was back in the late 80s when we didn't really have the internet or google to help us figure any of these things out so you know it was sort of in the days of the microfiche and you know things like that um things probably your podcast listeners have never heard of so um, I started sort of, mo- I guess, a rudimentary model, putting together a rudimentary model of greenhouse gas emissions globally. And then I guess I've been doing that for the last 30 years, basically. <laughs> so how did you end up in Hawaii? So I ended up in Hawaii because I took a little detour to um, from greenhouse gas inventories and global warming issues to biodiversity conservation issues. And I worked for a network of botanical gardens that was conserving the native flora of the United States. And I worked for them, um, and five of those gardens were and are in Hawaii. And so that was how I first came here to Hawaii. 
and then just got hooked on on working on issues in Hawaii. So And you've been here now? Well, I've been here now 5 years. Okay. So it's not been that long, but this was back in the 90s when I first came here. Oh, and okay. so just got hooked and finally thought, you know, it's time to just move to Hawaii. So so that's what I've done. Awesome. So now that we kind of have an idea of where your background is, let's dive into the background of Hawaii's sustainable initiatives. Maybe that would be a great place to start with. When were you brought into, I guess, the climate office and everything that we have going on here in Hawaii? So the Climate Change Mitigation and Adaptation Commission, which is what I staff, um, they that came into being in 2017. So it's just finished its terrible twos, <laughs> I like to say. And it's just, it wasn't that terrible, but, you know, it's a way for people to remember how old it is. And now we're going into the terrific threes. So it's it's fairly new. And actually on Friday, it'll be my two years here at this in this particular position. So the position is new, the commission is new, and um, we are just putting together, we've just finished putting together the policy, if you will, framework on what the commission's focuses will be, what its mission statement is, and then going down through the list of mandates for, for the commission. So working on those one at a time or several at a time, as the case may be. So could you give an overarching view of, just for our listeners, because everybody's, well, a lot of them are green to green, trying to understand all this um, and what you know, what are our state sustainable initiatives? What are our goals? What are, what does this department do for the state of Hawaii? And, and, um, you know, what are you planning to achieve in, I don't know how many years by 2045 and things like that? Sure. Maybe. Yeah. So the commission is actually what we call a high level commission. It's got 20 members and you can find out more about it on our website, which is climate.hawaii.gov. But basically it's got these 20 members that are heads of departments at the state and county levels. Okay? okay. So you've got Department of Transportation, Department of Education, Department of Land and Natural Resources, and it's co-chaired by Department of Land and Natural Resources and Office of Planning. Okay. And then it's got heads at the county level, so the heads of the planning departments of the counties, of the four counties. And then, because it's multi-jurisdictional, it also has legislators, and it has four legislators who are the chairs of legislative committees. So and it's which got, ones? So it's uh, it's right now it's the chair of energy and environment, uh, and water, land, and Hawaiian affairs, and then on the Senate side it's agriculture and environment and water and land. Okay. Okay. So those are the relevant committees, the subject matter committees. So these legislators and the executive branch, they get together once a quarter, and these are public meetings. So the public is invited on our website, you can find information on that. So the public is invited to discuss and listen to what the commission is finding to be a priority in the state. And basically, this, the commission coordinates, helps to coordinate the actions of climate change that are going on, the, the state's response to climate change. Okay. So the two focuses that it's come up with, because it's the Mitigation and Adaptation Commission. So on the mitigation side, it's looking at ground transportation and reducing emissions from that. And there are, there are reasons why it's doing that, but that's basically, you know, I'm just going to give you the focuses for now. 
And then on the other side of it, the adaptation side, it's looking at the impacts of sea level rise and all the other effects that happen from sea level rise. So would you say that your department kind of focuses on those two as the biggest? Correct. So I'm actually not a department, but I'm a, I'm a staff. I'm a person that staffs the commission. So my daughter, who was uh, filling out her common application forms for colleges, she said, Mom, I can't find your profession in here. And I said, what are you looking for? And she said, petty bureaucrat. <laughs> so I'm I'm the petty bureaucrat that staffs the commission. Okay. And so so I'm the I'm the staff member and so we have an office, you know, I have sort of help from various people, but the main idea is for me to coordinate and leverage and amplify the efforts of other departments mm-hmm. and their people and funding, right? So to try and sort of collate that in a coordinated fashion and help pull some big levers to make some big things happen. Okay. Okay. So it's not for me to sort of multiply myself and kind of like have a lot of, you know, staff who will be doing this, but to use existing staff and existing resources to amplify and get more of other such resources and staff. So for example, we do things like um, try and find federal matches for the money we have to do a bigger project. So if it's something that might only be a county level project, we might end up doing it for the whole state if we can get federal funds. So so that's kind of in a in a way that's my my your role role is to bring some of that coordination together. And um so the two focuses are really those that I mentioned, the ground transportation emissions reduction, which I like to say cars and cars mostly, and then uh, sea level rise and its impacts. And so I like to say puddles. So I'm a petty bureaucrat that works on cars and puddles. Okay. Well, let's see. How did, I guess, we have started this back in 07, 08, but um, it's, it only really, you know, came about in 2017. I mean, with the whole sustainable, you know, with, Governor Ige and everything that's, you know, kind of moving down and with the bills and all these things on their website, by the way, they have a ton of resources and um, you can read through bills, you can and the different, you know, um, laws that came into play and to, you know, that leads up to what we're doing today. Um, And a lot of their, um, uh, you know, how they came about to where we're at. So, one of the things I think you've, we people have been hearing about, and if you follow sustainability, you know, nationally or globally, then you hear about like the Paris Agreement. Um, I think maybe you could, could you explain that a little bit sure. and what we've done as a state, you know, sure. regarding that, just because I think people that are green to green, they've heard about it. They don't really understand or they don't know. Um, but maybe you can, sure. yeah, jump into that. Yeah. So, uh, we are, part of the Sustainable Hawaii Initiative, but not quite it. Mm-hmm. Uh, slightly different animals. So um, the Paris Agreement is uh, something that we do take our mandates from, basically. So in response to when, when, the, when the current administration at the federal level uh, indicated it was going to pull out of the Paris Agreement in 2016, um, Hawaii's response was, well, along with 
New York State, Washington State, and California, uh, Hawaii's response was, we will do something about this. We will be, we will do state-level action around this because the Paris Agreement is about countries mm-hmm. that have agreed to keep warming below two degrees or to keep it at two degrees globally. Okay, so that's the Paris Agreement. It's 197 countries. They got together. They said, we're going to keep uh, warming under this this uh, certain amount and we have certain pledges towards it. And that the U.S. had also pledged something. These are called something complicated, like nationally determined contributions, but we just say pledges. So the U.S. pledged, but then the U.S. administration, the current administration, threatened to pull out. And so then all these states stepped in and said, we are going to adhere to, we're going to step up to the challenge. We're going to adhere to that that challenge and to those uh, pledges. And we will we will do better than those pledges, in fact. So Hawaii is one of those states that, that stepped up. So governor and... Uh, and the state are basically, um, I would say, you know, keeping keeping the U- keeping us or the U.S. on track to delivering on its pledges. So this this is now a twenty five governor coalition. It's called the U.S. Climate Alliance, and uh, it's about eleven point seven trillion dollars economy. Um, so its economy that that number is the third largest. If it were a country, it would be the third largest in the world. So after the US and China, it's this group of states that has pulled together to say, yes, we as an alliance can address some of these pledges. So Hawaii is part of that and a very active member. So, um, you know, we are on, we co-lead several working groups and we are working on what we're looking at what other states are doing. Mm -hmm. We're also bringing some of those lessons to Hawaii to figure out how we can implement some of those. So, for example, we're on the, um, we co-lead the transportation working group because that is one of the commission's um, focuses. And... So uh, the commission itself also is part of the, was born of this Paris Agreement pledge, basically, is that, you know, we will do something at home as well, not just at the state level with other states, mm-hmm. which we call, if you're green to green, that's called the subnational level. So it's not the national entity, i.e. your country, but it's your state or your local government, which is the subnational. Okay. So at the subnational level we're part of this climate alliance and at the um and we are mandated under Act 32 uh to to be a commission that will take care of some of these uh challenges and to take care of coordinating Hawaii's climate response. So um that's kind of the policy framework. Mm-hmm. Um and I would say that for for green to green folks, uh, the Paris Agreement is you know it is this big agreement. It's at the global level, but it's very much at the state and local and neighborhood level that it's played out. And what I mean by that is you can have governments that that do all these big pledges and say we're going to cut emissions or we're going to do whatever you know X Y Z, but at the state county neighborhood level, you're really going to have to decide, are you taking a wall out from Waikiki? Are you putting a wall in? Are you zoning it in a certain way so people don't... Real action. Real action, exactly. <laughs> That's going to... Is on the ground, yeah. 
at the local neighborhood, state, and county level. Yeah, and that's that's what we are uh, we are trying to do and coordinate. But we also have these links to the subnational and the global mm-hmm. levels. Okay. Well, let's dive into these two areas of focus. Let's let's start with sea level rise because I know that's a big. A big one here, which is a noticeable one here. And then, you know, we can definitely go into transportation as well. But I think a lot of people don't realize the ramifications. And I think <laughs> they don't realize how quickly this is going to affect us. So maybe you can dive into um, our current situation and how quickly things will ramp up We when we don't realize it. So, yeah. Okay, so... um. When we talk about sea level rise, people think, oh, I don't have a place on the coast, so I don't have to worry about sea level rise. Besides, it's going to rise so slowly that it's not going to really be noticeable. So the reality actually is that because of sea level rise, we have problems with water everywhere. So we've got water coming in from the sea and we have higher high tides than we've ever seen before. So we had high tides before, but these are going to be, these are higher and they're going to be higher. And because of that, you get coastal erosion. So you get a more rapid rate of coastal erosion. So, okay, you may not have a house on the beach, but you do go to the beach and beaches are one of the biggest things about Hawaii. (laughs) So, so that's a problem if it's threatening one of your biggest assets, right? And especially a public asset. So whereas homes or other development may be private, uh, you're really looking at uh, the erosion of a public asset. Mm-hmm. And that's an issue. So that's one w- one place where sea level rise, that's the obvious place where it's, it's hurting Hawaii. The other place where people don't know as much, I think, is, and this is not even green to green, this is even, if you want to call them, I don't know, dark green to green, you know, <laughs> people who've been doing green for a long mm-hmm. time, I think they maybe get a little confused because of the terminology, because you're saying sea level rise, and you're Mm -hmm. thinking, oh, the seas are rising. Well, the seas are rising, but what that's doing is inland, it's also causing your water table to rise. And so inland areas get flooded. So you have areas like Mapunapuna, a commercial district, warehouse district, you know, it's got contaminated water at this point, because we've got Uh, industrial waste and so on. And so when your sea levels have already made your water table go up, it's going to anytime there's a little bit of rain or there's a high tide, you're going to get flooding there. And that's what's what's happening is you're getting flooding in places where you didn't used to get flooding before. And that's going to continue to happen. So you're going to continue to get flooding. And there is a tool that we've developed. It's a, a sea level rise viewer tool and it's on there's a link from our website Um, it basically maps uh, at one feet two feet and three feet of sea level rise what it would look like where the water would go and where you can see the puddles inland so that's why I say I work on puddles because there are puddles inland and there are you know scientists say puddles it's much more than puddles I'm like yeah it is going to be much more. and this isn't just if we get torrential downpour this is like I haven't gotten to the torrential yeah. yet. <laughs> I've just, I'm just talking about a nice just sunny the, day yes. when the tides go up and down. Yes. I'm talking yes. about what we call sunny day flooding. So the sun is shining and you got floods. So now imagine what's going to happen when you have rain, just a light, gentle rain. Then imagine what's going to happen when you get a torrential downpour. 
Because then you're going to have the salt water <laughs> and the, <laughs> the rain water coming. So Hawaii's problem is really, with climate change, is really water. So it's going to be water from the sea, water from the land because of flooding coming in, you know, just inland flooding, mm-hmm. drainage failure. So your, your storm sewers, most people don't like to think about storm sewers. They don't even know what are storm, storm sewers, right? They're the, the holes that like, like you see on the sidewalk that kind of send your water down, right? So when you remember, I don't know if your uh, listeners uh, remember the rain bomb that was 2018 now, I guess, 2018, April, April 13, 2018. There was a rain bomb. I know that date because it's my son's birthday. Um, so there was a rain bomb on Oahu, on East Oahu. Yeah, right. And, and it wasn't just the uh, Makai side of properties that got flooded. It was the Mauka side of the highway that got flooded. And that's because of drainage failure. Mm-hmm. So you get the rain bombs in and then the drainage, things just don't drain because everything's already full of the seawater that's, that's risen up. Because of sea level rise, so you're already looking down. And if you ever were to look down a storm sewer, which don't I don't recommend you do, but I'm just saying, you know, visually, if you were to actually look down one, you would see water there already. So where is the extra water that's coming from the sky? Mm-hmm. Where is that going to go? So that's the question, right? So, so for Hawaii, it's water from the sea, water from the land, and water from the sky. Mm-hmm. Where is all that water going to go? That's the problem we have basically in a nutshell. And what it's going to do is it's going to create flooding. It's going to create damage to your homes, to your roads, to your infrastructure. Your, you know, you've got um, landslides from, from all that rain and then they dump rocks and stuff. I mean, one of my son's friends couldn't, couldn't make it back home that night. So he slept in our house because there was a huge rock on Kalanyanaole Highway that had come down from, from the mountainside. Yeah, so with this situation how long do you think it's going to take for it i mean because it's already bad when we do have natural disasters or something that comes up or like the rain bomb that you mentioned but um how quick just for our listeners for them to understand like this is going this is going to be a problem in a year from now five years from now ten years from now where i think a lot of people think oh, this isn't my problem. This is going to be like my kid's problem like 30 years from now, right? I guess, you know. Which isn't very nice either to be thinking. No, fine, but I'm just saying like, yeah. you know, like maybe someone who's right. older and they're like going to be gone already. And right, right. Maybe they actually, I take that back. A lot of people are grandparents and they actually do care about their, <laughs> their right, grandchildren right, right, now. Right. Not so much maybe their kids, but maybe their, their grandchildren. grandchildren. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't, you know, I don't like to say this is this is so much in, in the future and this is XYZ in the next future or whatever but I like to say that we actually are experiencing it right now so and people have seen this you know we've had the we've had uh, more storms in the last few years we've had more uh, coral bleaching events in the last four years than we've ever had before Um, so the increased frequency of storms it may not be the the their 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 paths are changing the storm paths are changing because of climate change and so we're seeing more of them hit land make landfall and they may not actually make landfall but have a lot of rain events that go around them and all that rain comes onto our islands onto the actual land part of it so you know i don't like to play the numbers game of oh this is going to happen by this date and that date and because then what if it's like not actually happened on that particular date right so the basic idea is that 
it's worse than we thought, and it's going to happen sooner than we thought. Mm-hmm. That's the main message that I want to give to people. And it's happening now. So, and on our island, um, on all our islands, we've got uh, coastal road uh, systems that are more like arteries rather than a grid system. So they are, you know, uh, one, you get sort of a clot or a clog on one of them. And you have to go all the way around to make that uh, journey that would otherwise have been very short, right? And you don't have that in a grid system where you would just sort of take the next block over and make a right turn and whatever, right? And get back to the same place. So so this is this this may not be like life-threatening at this point for some people or most people, but what it is is it's really affecting your life. Mm-hmm. So it depends. If you think you can live with, you know, flooding events and there was a fl- there was a water main break on Kalanyanole Highway uh, maybe three four years ago and it took four hours to get from downtown to Hawaii where I live okay it took four hours I mean that was beyond traffic congestion <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's not a normal day so my point is that it doesn't even have to rain it could just be anything but now we've got all the climate events which are not disaster events and they're not big events. They're just little events. But it's going to... But it's hugely it's like disruptive. Venice in Italy. You're going to exactly. have to deal with this every... Every day, day. or every... Like, uh, every... do you want in your house a flood every, like, six months? Or whatever the frequency is going to be. But do you want... I want a flood, like, never in my house, right? <laughs> like, never. Like, yes. never. But what if you got it once? Well, maybe you could get over it. What if you had it twice? What if it was twice a month? What if... You know, so it depends on people's tolerance for those kinds of things. You'd move. If it was happening, like, three times, you'd move, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But it's not even about where you're living. It's also about where you're going. So you need to go. These are called, you know, like um, Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA. They've got these things called community lifelines. And they t- they, they have a framework which said these are the things that you, you want to have a good quality of life. You want safety and security. You want good transportation. You want uh, good access to food, to health care, to education, right? All of those things. Are you going to be able to do all of these things? What if, like, some of these things or one of these things was disrupted, like, every week or every month? Even every month. Imagine you couldn't get your kid to school once a month or you couldn't get your... So in February, I couldn't get my kid to school. This is just an example. I'm just... Just a theoretical... Hypothetical, (laughs) not an example. February, I couldn't get my kid to school. March, I couldn't uh, go to the grocery store when I wanted to. Uh, April, I missed a dentist appointment, you know, so on and on. So, I mean, is that, it's the disruption that it would cause. Mm -hmm. And then you're looking at the damages, right? Mm -hmm. So damages are from those disaster events and from those kind of one-time flooding or two-time flooding. But then it's the disruption too. So I think people maybe don't pay so much attention to the disruption and they until pay more. it starts happening to right. them right i mean i right. have a client i've been real estate so we have a client who has a leak an ongoing leak coming from their ceiling right into their bathroom and it's not clean water it's coming from that person's toilet right and uh, 
But it's a reoccurring thing that has not been cleared up, and they've been dealing with this since August, right? So she's at the point of, like you're saying, okay, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to move, try. Right? I'm, Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's the same thing, but this would be in just your your home and flooding in, in different capacities. But, and it would be yeah. where you want to go. So it would be like, imagine you can't go to Costco anymore, or you can't go... You know, it's, and we had an example of this on um, uh, Christmas Day, where at least uh, in on East Oahu, we lost power for several hours, mm-hmm. and you know, people were like, oh, I couldn't cook my Christmas meal, you know. So now, like, like, what if it were in July, and that's going to be, you know, a hot time, and you can't, like, what about people who can't, who need cooling, and people who can't. Uh, deal with the heat you know and these are just things that are they're not like immediately disastrous you're not gonna die Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's gonna be a hindrance i get it so what exactly are we doing or what can we do to mitigate or you know work with this uh you know this type of climate change and sea level rise like what are things i mean i'm assuming it's all infrastructure things that we have to start working on now to help for the future, but what are some of the plans? Right. So what the state's commission is doing is it's looking at how, so it's just, you know, don't forget, it's just come out of its terrible twos. So it's pretty young, but it's, uh, what it's trying to do is build a sort of initiative, which is a more comprehensive look at these specific portions. So looking at, um, and we're calling it climate ready Hawaii. So are you climate ready? You know, and this is sort of riffing off of several other climate ready programs around the country. So there's uh, climate ready Boston and, you know, so all of these. So climate ready means that you've got a way of dealing with your uh, climate impacts of sea level rise, heat island effects, whatever you've defined are your priorities. Uh, Climate ready means that you're resilient. So you're not just adapting on a daily basis, but once something happens, you're able to come back out of it in a resilient way. So, you know, it's like when my daughter learned ice skating, she was like, what if I fall down? I'm like, well, you have to learn how to fall well, and then you have to learn to get up. So it's kind of like that. Maybe ice skating is not the best analogy in, <laughs> in Hawaii, but, you know, and, the, and may not be in Missouri anymore either because the ice is melting. But, you know, so. But, we have ice palace. It's always cold as long <laughs> as we have a uh, AC. That's right. That's right. As long as a sunny day flooding hasn't done something to your grid or something. Right? <laughs> anyway, um, so it's the, it's the adaptation. It's the resilience aspect, the getting back up. Um, it's the trying to, um, reduce the amount of energy or how you use it or the kind of energy you use so it's that's the mitigation side of it where you're reducing your emissions and your dependence on imported fossil fuels which is Mm -hmm. you know hawaii is the most fossil fuel dependent state in the nation and we import everything everything we bring and we have what do we have we have wind we have sun we have geothermal we have all these things in state but we bring all these other things 
because they are already set up and they are already subsidized and we have systems that have that we've been using for a long time so we're looking at how do you change and convert some of those mm -hmm. established systems um, and you know really there are some very specific examples for each of these broad things that I'm I'm laying out but that's the broad framework so it's a climate ready Hawaii that we're trying to to stand up through the commission and say we want to be climate ready mm -hmm. whatever comes we want to be ready so there's I remember a few years back I went to a um, kaka'ako like our kuleana type of thing and it was on kaka'ako it was actually really interesting it was put on by I think the some of the students at University of Hawaii and it was like a six-week program and they did talk about every week there was another uh, thing that dealt with kaka'ako's you know issues I would say or things that they had to you know work on and one of them was on you know this sea level rise that if it happened in you know like in Kaka'ako like they there's a lot of infrastructure that would have to be done and a lot of money that would have to go into just servicing like the waterways and how things would have to play out and they had to they came up with there's plans I mean are there plans to to do to take care of some of these things within our you know areas that were like like Mapunapuna is probably like one of the biggest ones because it's already like a problem now like what what kind of things are we working on that are happening or in the works I, don't, I have I have no idea right so so um, different departments are dealing with this different different aspects of these mm -hmm. issues and it's my job to try and coordinate some of that work not you know sort of loosely coordinate not tell them like what to do but to make sure that we're echoing each other mm -hmm. and aligning what we're doing so so that if we're doing a project on coastal roads then should we also be doing something where we are protecting those roads not only with seawalls but maybe using beaches to protect those roads so that we're then protecting both the road and the beach mm. you know so we're looking at doing those kinds of what we're calling green infrastructure projects and that's part of the resilience of climate ready Hawaii. Okay. You know, so those are then then for example, Department of Transportation is doing uh, some work on putting together they just put together a plan where they identified all the coastal roads and and the priority levels of what are priority areas for them to either fix or address or what the state is. So state of that road that section of the road is. So they did a coastal roads report. Then the next step is to look at, you know, how do you, what are the, what are the options for each of those priority areas, mm -hmm. right? And then that's where I was saying the green infrastructure stuff is, is stuff that we can go in on and say, all right, can Department of Land and Natural Resources work with Department of Transportation to protect the road by not maybe doing a seawall, but doing a beach in this area mm. or... So, so those are the kinds of projects and, and partnerships that we are uh, working on statewide. And you might, as you might imagine, that's a big undertaking, it even is. for a small state. But whenever... We have a lot of... We're an island. Well, <laughs> Islands and, in general. Right. And, and when people think, oh, Hawaii's small, you know, oh, you can do this so easily. Well, the thing is, Hawaii's small and we have small capacity. So it's not like we've got a, you know, a ton of people that are able to just we're just able to call in and say hey do this you know so so 
I mean, we're a small state with a small capacity, and so that's why it's going to take us a little while. So proportionally, we are, you know... But Oahu is a big city, so we've got a lot of people here to deal with. We do, yeah. and right. I mean, that that's true, but we, in general, I mean, you know, we are only 1.3 million, and, you know, that's like a small village in India, right? So, <sighs> you know, so it's it's a small state, but it also means that the people who are working on these issues are fewer, because we're small. Yeah. <laughs> right? So I think um, it's a big undertaking for a small state, especially, uh, like you said, because we're out in the middle of the Pacific. It's not easy for us to do some of the things that Boston or Florida... So the access is so much, much easier. That yeah. and and... Because we have deeper seas very quickly, it's our coastlines are, you know, we're just going straight down basically into the ocean, right? We're not, we don't have like a continental shelf that mm -hmm. goes out for miles and miles. We don't have protected harbors like Boston Harbor where a bunch of things can happen that would be sort of resilient, uh, Boston, resilient Boston. It's got a different kind of, um, you know, you can't just put up like a, a, I don't know, a wall or something that would block out the ocean or something, you know, because it's not, it's, a, we have a wilder ocean to deal with, mm -hmm. you know, we have the big Pacific very quickly, it gets very deep, and you got big waves mm -hmm. very quickly. It's so, so we have some different issues here. Yeah, um, for sure. And so I think those challenges are, are things that we are, um, you know, we're working with. So we have to take some of those lessons from other places and bring them in and, and sort of Hawaiianize them, if you will, you know, I'm putting air quotes here, but um, in the sense of make them relevant to Hawaii, mm -hmm. you know, to the situation here, the geographic, the uh, cultural, all of those situations. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so now that we tackled sea level rise, uh, maybe we could jump into the transportation side real quick and um, what's going on with that. I know that's always been, I mean, the whole point of everything that we're doing is it is to the infrastructure and to help make it better for the future. So I know this, the rail and things like that have been a hurdle for some time, but I mean, if you can... Um, jump in as to what what's going on with transportation and um, what we're doing to help on that side too. Mm -hmm. So the commission's work on transportation, basically its main focus right now is to try and convert the um, publicly owned fleets. And by that, I mean the cars and trucks that are the states that are owned by the state and by the counties to try and convert them to something cleaner. Okay. So we're not just running them off of the usual dirty fossil fuel stuff. Well, and the mayor did work there. They have like a coalition right now with, I don't know, was it 40 other mayors? Right. In purchasing, maybe you could explain that. Yeah, so I don't know oh. exactly because that's at more at the city level. So, But at the state level, there are several. Um, we are trying to convert our like the Department of Land and Natural Resources has, you know, some, I don't know, 300 vehicles or something, you know. And so we're looking at converting those to how do you start, where do you start? Because that also takes money, right? Mm -hmm. And we've got some really old gas guzzling, mm -hmm. you know. Machines. Machines that and, and cars car, and trucks. And exactly. And so how do you, how do you move the whole state machinery, so to speak, to 
make it clean, efficient, and you know how do you do it quickly? So what are the big levers to pull on that one, right? Yeah. So I mean, for your, I mean, some of them are like it's still in working order and you right. know cost and balance, right. right? Yeah. So you're really looking at the cost of inaction to moving it over, right? So what's the cost of climate change essentially is what you're saying, mm-hmm. and who's going to bear that burden? It's going to be the future generations who are going to bear the burden, right, of the cost of climate change if we don't do anything now. Mm-hmm. And so what I would say that's what the commission is trying to do is to to address that now rather than later. Um, so that's on the, you know, that's on the cars and trucks and things that go that side of it. Um, and for your green to green folks, I would say I'm just sort of moving the conversation a little bit too because this is all sort of very state level, and this is what the commission's doing, and it's all very descriptive and maybe not that interesting to someone on the individual level. Mm-hmm. It's like, because people always ask, what can I, I do? do. Yeah. And I think there, there are a couple of things. It's, you know, I don't want to belittle plastic straws and carrying your own straw and all of that stuff. That's all great. You want to do that, but that's not the big lever. The big lever is the fact that those straws are available and where, like, plastic straws are available. They are being made. They are being dispensed or... Um, plastic food uh, items are available. Why is that? Why is that? Why are they being, why are they available? You know, that's the question to ask. It's like, where do you go to stop that? So it's, so it's at the legislative level, right? It's at your city council or your legislature, your state legislature. That's so the biggest impact. That's yeah. the biggest lever. And and to vote on climate and to vote on bills, mm-hmm. to vote on that specific issue and to turn up there, not just show up not just send testimony written in, but to actually show up. And I and when people actually show up at hearings, that's when you see the things moving. Impact, yeah. mm-hmm. so, so that's what a big are, impact. Right now um, we are, well, right now we're in the legislative session. Um, when this airs, maybe, I don't know, it's going to be a little bit because I am due in like a week. So <laughs> I'm trying to stack some of these recordings. Right. So it may come out a little bit later. But could you give um, us a synopsis of what you guys are working on right now or what's going on in legislative side on climate? Sure, there are legislative priorities for the commission. And um, one side of it is obviously dealing with the sea level rise issues. So it actually is you would be interested in this because you're in real estate is to look at a disclosure for uh, a mandatory disclosure from a seller uh, when they're selling their house to say that this is in the zone, the flood zone, or the what we're calling, not the flood, because that's a different mapping layer. But look, to say that this is the state's sea level rise vulnerability exposure area to to the the possibility of, of... which is separate from FEMA. It's just it's separate from is, FEMA. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's that's one. There are several bills out there right now on that particular seller's mandatory seller disclosure. Okay. So that's one that we're working on. Um, it's not new. Happened last year as well, but didn't pass. So we'd like to get it, uh, get that passed. There is a voluntary disclosure, I believe, but it would be good to have it be mandatory because voluntary disclosures are not are just voluntary. Um. So that's one, because it's not sustainable to have your house in a place that's going to flood. Of course. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And if you don't know that it's going to flood when you buy it, that's not okay, right? 
And so you're really trying to, as a state, you're trying to move some of this back a little and saying back or higher, right? And saying, let's go up to high ground where you're not going to see coastal erosion, where you're not going to, you know, so, so that's really behind it in simple terms. I mean, there are obviously nuances to this and it's not going to happen everywhere and you'll need hardening of shorelines in certain places and et cetera, et cetera. But that's one area of legislation which I think is most pertinent probably to, to the work you do. Um, but to your listeners, also I would say there are several um, pieces of, legis- of there are several measures which are dealing with electric vehicles and um, like a tax credit for electric vehicles. What are they? Just out of curiosity. The measures? Yeah, what are, what are being proposed at this time? Like a uh, $2,500 tax credit if you purchase an electric vehicle. Okay. Uh, up to $50,000, I believe, is the recent... And this is yeah. like full electric, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Not a hybrid, just correct, a full, full electric. Yeah. And... Um, so it'll be a state tax credit. Because currently, right now, I did have an electric vehicle up until they didn't make... Well, anyhow, there is the... <laughs> <laughs> I did have one. I ended up having to get a hybrid this time um, because of where I live doesn't have charging. Uh, charging. Correct. So I, I do have a hybrid now. I just got one. Um, but the, um, the 2020, I guess in June is going to sunset with the perks of the electric vehicle plates. Is there any talk about that by any chance do you know uh you mean like with free parking and things like that? yeah so i mean Mm -hmm. i know that's a huge incentive it was a huge incentive when i first you know got an electric car or electric plates back in you know like three years three or four years ago um but i don't see that that's gonna be prolonged it doesn't seem like it yeah so i think the parking um and some of those other smaller incentives are being talked about right now in the legislature. But um, the main sort of incentive is, is the cr- tax the, credit is going to yeah. be the tax credit. Because they increased so, city and county uh, registration for electric cars by uh, $50. Right. And that was I thought that was one of the bills. I didn't know that they actually had increased it. Yeah, I did get a charge for that before I turned in my right. lease. Right. <laughs> I was like, right. what? What is right. this? It's more expensive. <laughs> right. And, and you know, as a commission, I can't, I mean, as um, speaking on behalf of the commission at the legislature, I mean, that isn't what we would want to see is those incentives going away. But but bigger, the bigger lever here is the tax credit. So I think that's that's one thing. Um, we're also looking at um, in all of this, I should say one very important part of the commission's work is to look at equity issues and looking at sort of how to make things equitable for people who are vulnerable, lower income, um, and so on. And so that's one thing that that's a tricky one with any policy you introduce. So you want to be really careful how you, um, how that affects your vulnerable populations. Mm-hmm. So one thing the state is doing right now is, uh, and the commission is doing right now, is is looking into developing a vulnerability index statewide that would help us layer um, other information and figure out like where the vo- vulnerable populations are, who are they, what are they, and how do we make them whole, if you will. 
you know, with any of these policies. So if it's something that would affect them adversely, how would you make it better? Yeah, I think that's one of the issues, I think, for a lot of people where they're feeling, okay, well, I'm never going to be able to afford an electric car or like this is a quote unquote rich person's uh, issue or problem or tax break. Um, and so how does how does this going to help me or how why am I going to help on sustainable initiatives or these type of things when I'm just worried about eating and getting food in for our family or just paying the electric bill, things like that, right? Or getting on a bus, you know. Well, that's something I would yeah. say is then actually lobby your legislator <laughs> to get rid of the, the, the get on food and medicine because Hawaii is one of the most regressive states in the nation for taxing its poor people it's the second most regressive state in the nation yeah so i mean and i, I mean when we li- when i lived in missouri we did not tax food and medicine that would yeah. be actually a better thing to to get rid of rather yeah. than saying i'm not going to um you know uh, ever buy an electric vehicle because well i mean i think it's more of like they it's something that that we're seeing, I think, in the sustainable world where we're wanting everybody to jump on board and help with climate change and sustainability and all this stuff. But we're starting to see such a, like, the people who, they're just caring about basic needs at this point. And, you know, that's like, if they were at that level, I guess they would be, you know, like, okay, would they just want food on the table, you know, and that's what they're just trying to strive for. And, and then here we're trying to tackle some, a different, you know, thing. So we're trying to have a compromise of something at some point. And so, um, I don't know, maybe that's some of the hurdles. I, I mean, a lot of the nonprofits that are really pushing, they want to help that other group too, right? Because with, with me in real estate and the stuff that we do, um, I'm, I'm always working on like the affordable housing and the sustainable side of things on that, that side of things. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic to see all the different sectors and how they all like overlap with each other. So it's, so the community itself is what we try to, um, reach and it's, there's there's a divide right now, and so it's it's an interesting one. Right, and I think that sometimes it's not a um, it's not a real divide. It's actually we're saying the same thing. So, for example, <clears throat> when when we say oh, an electric vehicle is a rich person's car, so maybe a new one is a rich person's car, but if if you have a tax break and you buy that car, whether you're a rich person or sort of rich person you buy that car and that's that means that once you have tax breaks you have more people buying those cars and then at some point those become secondhand cars and you can buy a secondhand ev for six thousand dollars and once you have more of them you have more chargers mm-hmm. so then it becomes everybody's car it doesn't stay a rich person's car so it's the adoption and then the trickling down or whatever you want to call it and the widespread adoption of these things. So I know that the guy that drives me to the airport at odd hours when my husband doesn't want to drive <laughs> me to the airport, the limo driver, he's bought his son a an electric vehicle for $6,000. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to be using rail. And, you know, it's just, I think at this this level, it's, 
it is more sustainable to ride a bike. It's more sustainable to walk, right? It's more sustainable to do all these other things too. So it's, it is a, like a community mind shift that I think where, where, you know, the people that are thinking one way on either side, they need to get to common ground. (laughs) Well, and I think that for some, one of the things we're looking at, so you asked about legislation and, you know, I, I mentioned electric vehicles, but really we're looking at a at a transformation mm-hmm. of how transportation is handled here. Mm-hmm. So we're really not looking at just transportation. We're looking at mobility, yeah. which is different. So which which includes walking, which includes biking. Yeah. It includes um, down the road, scooters, electric scooters, electric bikes. I know scooters were banned here a couple of years ago, but maybe they'll come back under a different framework. Electric bikes, which are taking over for micro mobility in all they are, in yeah. lots of cities around the world. Um, so, and and car share and ride share and all of these things mm-hmm. are are changing the way that we move from one place to another. Mm-hmm. So, and I know this this has happened like ten or fifteen years ago in some places. And we are still not there yet, you know, so we're trying but to move. But it's working there. Yeah, it's, working it's working there. there. So it's not new and it's not novel. It's just new and novel to hear. Yeah. And we're just trying to catch up with the past of 15 yeah. years ago. So, you know, that's the thing we're trying to do with the commission is saying it can't just be a car replacing a car. It mm-hmm. can't be an electric vehicle replacing your gasoline vehicle. It's going to be a shift in how you move from mm-hmm. one place to the next. So this younger generation is not getting as many driver's licenses for several reasons. But one of those reasons, whatever the reasons, the outcome is that they are not going to be driving and they're not going to be owning cars. Well, financially, it may not make sense for them. <laughs> and financially, it doesn't make sense for us either mm-hmm. is the other thing. So it actually costs eight to $12,000 a year after you've bought your car to have a car. Mm-hmm. That's how much it costs. Eight to ten thousand dollars. That's a lot of Lyft and Uber rides in a year. Yeah. So well, I know we are running out of time and I gotta get you back to your day to day. So um I have a whole bunch of links and ways to get in touch with Anu and her team. Um, so if you guys want to check it out on the podcast, it'll be there. But uh, once again, could you mention your website that has a lot of information on it? We'll also have a lot of links to that on our website in the future as well. Sure. It's uh, climate.hawaii.gov. Okay. And if is there anything else you'd like to say before um, we uh, check out? Sure. That, if, uh, that people are welcome to come to our public meetings. It's on the High Commission tab of our website. And also... Um, in between the public meetings, we do put up things on our social media, which will give you a window into what we're doing and a way for you to interact with us. So it's on, we're on Instagram and Facebook. We are not on Twitter. And it's High Climate. Yeah, I have so. those, and I will definitely post those up there for you as well. Great, and follow us. <laughs> yeah, follow them. And I guess that's it. That's about wraps everything up for us today. Thank you, Anu, for being here. Thank and, you. And um, thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast at www.smartlivinghi.org. And also follow us on Instagram at, at smart underscore living underscore Hawaii. And like us on Facebook as well. Until next time, live smart. Thank you. Thank you.